0: Hey, just so want to remind you we're going to have DealMaker Live this year in Dallas, Texas, July 16 to 17. Head over to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to grab your tickets. It's going to be in person or virtual, whichever you prefer. I'll see you there. Well, hello, deal makers! Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Micah Blanc. I want to start off uh, by just shouting out a podcast reviewer. I uh, love watching these uh, reviews on iTunes. It's from Jeffrey Donis. Love the show. He says, always dropping amazing content in each episode. Thank you. Jeffrey, thank you for, for that review. Give us a shout out when you can on iTunes. We'd love to read those out and maybe we'll shout you out next time as well. Also want to shout out to a, a student, a mentoring student who did his first deal. His name is Mauricio. Roke. He had a 45-unit deal in Kalamazoo, Michigan. His mentor was Brad Taysha. Brad was one of my first mentors who works with our students. He has helped a lot of people do their first deal. And in Mariso's case, he actually had a, an LOI that was accepted last March in 2020, and it almost washed him out because it didn't go anywhere. And he almost felt like uh, giving up. And instead, Brad kept him on track and, in fact, made him, encourage him to partner with two other of our students, David Verga and Brady Hoffpair. And they did that 41-unit together. And it's so cool because that, of course, triggers the law of the first deal. So we're going to watch what they do and it's just a matter of time now until they quit their job as well. Um, Reiner, you guys, that we have Deal Maker Live coming this July 16-17 to 17 in Dallas at the Hilton Anatole. Tickets are going on, on sale right now. Go to dealmakerliveevent.com. It is going to be the premier multifamily event and it is going to be in person. We also have a virtual option if you prefer that. But I am so excited. We have a lot of cool guests and uh, man, I'm just... We got Brandon Turner... Uh, speaking there. We actually got a really cool MC. Now I'm normally doing the one MC. I really enjoy it. But we have a professional coming. I just can't wait. I, I mean, I can't even tell you who it is. He's MC for Tony Robbins and Russell Brunson and other well known people. And, uh, and I'm just excited about about that. So dealmakerliveevent.com is the URL for that. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna get into our show today with Lee Yoder and Lee Yoder is a is a, you know, financial freedom success story. Uh, who went from being a physical therapist to a full-time investor. Before we bring it on, though, let's bring our co-host on, Garrett Lynch. What's going on?
1: What's going on, Michael? You almost forgot about me today. Uh, whew, I, I, get to my, <laughs> I
0: can never forget about you, Garrett. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't can't do that. You know, Garrett, I want you to talk about something that that's relevant. It's been a hot market and it's it's odd. It was hot before COVID and it appears to be hot after COVID. It's like hot. Like it's like a recession and it's hot. Like I don't understand. And one of the things, now, a lot of the action happens in the off-market deals. Uh, We've seen on our ends and uh, and others as well. But occasionally, though, we get into a competitive situation. And sometimes you can't avoid them. And we've won competitive uh, situations, and we've also lost them. Share with us, if you do get in a competitive situation, which uh, are sometimes not avoidable, how do we win it?
1: Yeah, so with a competitive situation, it's a different game. You're essentially playing, you're, you're in like an auction, like a competitive auction type environment, but you're not getting deals at a discount necessarily. You're paying retail pricing or sometimes overpaying for deals. And so the first thing, you know, it's like, okay, well, why would we do that? Well, the reason is because there's enough upside after you get into it that even if you do overpay a little bit, it still makes sense. To do the deal, and so not all deals work, and it's, depending on your strategy. You know, there's a lot that don't. Just like anything. That said, some of our most lucrative deals that we've done have been in that kind of an environment, and we've won them. And so, if the things that you can do to get in yourself into the best position, first of all, you want to do a you want to do a decent amount of them. You don't just want to do one. Um, there's a little bit of nerves that that go behind running these. See if you can. Keep a few in the pipeline that you're doing because it still is a numbers game. You got to go into this thinking like, I don't know who's on the other side of this, but there's a lot of people most likely. And so having a really good book that shows what you've done in a track record book for the presentation, you want to make sure that's put together really well. And that goes along with your letter of intent when you submit it first round. First round, you want to go in with terms that are just just enough to get you into the best and final. So you can find out from the broker, hey, where can we come in at? That's that's gonna get me into the best and final. So that first round is really just to weed out the jokers, the people that don't really have any business being anywhere near the deal, right? So it's really kind of meaningless. So then it's all about the best and final deals. So you get into the best and final, you did just enough to get in there, you had kind of wide terms, so your terms weren't anything aggressive, and now it's time to sharpen the pencil. And so, the way that I get to the point where we need to sharpen the pencil is I'll ask roundabout questions to the broker to try to get more information on where people are coming in at. So, I have an idea as to where I need to be. And so, the way that that looks like typically is I'll come in and be like, hey, so how far am I away from the top uh, right now? Don't have tell me who's there, but how far am I away from it? Okay. What range do you think I need to be? to get towards the top of the pricing so that we're in a good position to win. What other things can I do to my terms that would make me a leader in this this form? And I'm sure other people are asking this, but just know we're going to perform better than all those other people out there. So you got to play behind the scenes a little bit and try to get as much information. Now, there's some brokers that will tell you nothing. And there's some brokers that will give you hints, depending on how much they like you, and hey, don't say anything. And you want to get those hints so that you can get some included insight as to what you need to do to really, what well, do you need to put up more hard money? Do you need to not? Do you need, what things you need to pull back on? So that's how we've been able to position ourselves into successfully win some of these deals, it's by trying to work the back scenes to get into a spot where we're just the one. And and it's not easy. You'll lose a lot more than you win. But just make sure that if you're going in into this kind of an environment, you know what to expect and you know how to play the strategy.
0: Yeah, a lot of that is based on the strength of the relationship with the broker. I think that's absolutely key. And uh, right. even though we build relationship with brokers to get off market deals, sometimes you still get in competitive situations. So having that relationship... Well, a broker still counts. Having visited with that broker, having hopped on a plane, toured some yes. properties, really counts. The other thing also that counts that I've seen you do is you will spend uh, time at the property even before you get it on a contract, which of course we tell people not to do because you're just wasting money. But what you do on these property visits is you look for ways to add value to that property in ways that the average buyer from far away will not see therefore allowing you to pay at or even slightly above because you see certain things based on your analysis looking at the comps looking at what's there talking with people on the ground maybe the proper manager where's the opportunity what have we not thought of where can we add more value and that has made a difference in, in a lot of our recent, recent deals because it appears on the surface that we're overpaying. But as far as we're concerned, we're not.
1: Yeah, think about it. If you overpay, let's say $100,000 for a deal based on where its retail value is, quote unquote, but you, you're able to make $5 million, $6 million, that 100 k doesn't, doesn't really matter as much um, because there was enough upside to cover it, right? And so, like you said, flying into the deal, it's absolutely paramount. Um, If if you're really serious about one and you want to get, you want to show that you're serious, you can showcase your knowledge to the broker when you're in front of them on site. Hey, oh, you guys could have done this. They could have done this over here. Any way that you can get a leg up in, fr- in front of that buyer, even even the debt side. So like I've, I've gone into it where I've taken somebody that is a mutual, I, I've actually closed deals with mortgage brokers or lenders that are tied to the brokerage where they're selling the deal. So like if it's a Bercadia deal, for example, I've closed deals with the Bercadia lender just so that I have that track record with them. So that's one more person. Oh, this person did perform. It's just, you know, they're, they're trying to look for holes in your game, the seller is. And so the less holes that you have, the more, the stronger you can become, the better shot you got at winning it.
0: Yeah. So don't shy away from competitive situations. Uh, the other thing that really helps is, is aligning yourself with a strong team behind you with a track record. So if you don't have one, then align yourself with a, a more experienced operator and, uh, and 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 get into the round that way as well. By the way, if you're listening to this or watching this, and you're interested in investing passively in syndications, but you're not sure yet, you've maybe invested in, in some, uh, some stock market, but you want to explore investing in syndications, we have a great report for you. It's called What's the Best Investment? Stock Market or Real Estate? It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. And uh, if you are already uh, on board with multifamily syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you at nighthawkequity.com. So if you know someone who wants to invest outside the stock market, send them to that report as well and educate them about investing in this fantastic asset class called multifamily syndications. So with that, we're gonna get our show here with Lee Yoder. He's a young 33 year old physical therapist. He started investing four years ago. uh, And like so many people, he flipped the house. That's how it all started. But last December, he quit his job. He's a full-time investor now. And he is really living into his passion of not only doing real estate, but empowering others to use real estate investing as a way to focus on things and people that really matter. In fact, he recently started his own podcast that's about faith, family and real estate. And, you know, for him, and like so many others who are financially free, he's been able to pursue what he loves to do. And people who do that almost always end up serving others in some kind of way. So let's get into Lee's story of how he went from being a physical therapist to full time investor so that you can do the same.
2: You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment
0: buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Lee, how's it going today?
2: Doing great, man. Honored to be on the show. I'm really excited to be on. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller.
0: I guess. Yeah, so yeah, really appreciate, it, appreciate it. So, so you know, we, we want to get into your story. It's a good one. You know, you quit your job last December, and we want to know how you did that. But I want to rewind the clock a bit and start from the beginning. And we want to really understand what was going on in your life and how in the world you did it because, Lee, like, everybody wants what you have done, which is financial freedom with real estate. So, Why did you back think about, you know, I think you got started four or five years ago. What was going on in your life? Why did you even start thinking about getting involved uh, in real estate?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I like sharing my story, Michael, because it, it, it's something I didn't do anything special. You know, anybody can follow my story, but I was a physical therapist. Like you said, I was doing home health physical therapy where I got to make my own schedule, had a lot of flexibility. You know, the money was fine. I was making plenty of money uh, for the family. So it was really good for, for my wife and I and starting our young family. The problem for me was I was really bored in that job. I wanted something, you know, more challenging. I wasn't very fulfilled. So the company I was with actually brought me in-house, you know, into the office, I guess. And I started kind of doing more of the corporate thing, climbing the corporate ladder. And so I was actually no longer doing any physical therapy, but was more like I was a clinical director. And then I was moving toward becoming a director of operations. So now everything kind of flipped. Now I'm like really fulfilled by my job. It's really challenging. It's exciting. Really, the company was a startup company but now it's, it's not so good for my family. You know, now we have two young kids and my wife, you know, was staying home and, and it just wasn't the life that, that we uh, believe that that God really wanted for us specifically. Um, I wanted to be home more. I wanted to be more present. Uh, even when I was home, I felt very consumed by my job. Uh, so that's a common story you'll, you'll hear, right? Um, climbing that corporate ladder. There's, there's good and bad. And, and some people have a great job in the corporate space. So it's, it's not everybody, but I started thinking, man, I want to I get back to where I have the, the freedom, the flexibility, you know, being home with the family more. But I didn't want to just go back to doing physical therapy because that wasn't fulfilling for me. So it's like, you know, what, what else is there? Is there anything else? And um, luckily, I had a um, coworker who's actually my partner today, interestingly enough, but he was kind of starting to think some of these same things and, and handed me a real estate book. And I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. and And it was kind of a light bulb moment for me like it is for so many people. And I thought, okay, well, there is something else. There is another way. So Luckily, I had a buddy from church that was doing real estate full time. And he said, and I think this is so relevant to people today, Michael, with um, the way the economy is kind of changing since COVID. And he said, can you do your job from home? Right. That's a a, a key phrase. today, Right. Well, for me, the answer was no. Back, you know, again, this was 2016. And and the answer was no, I can't do my job from home. And and I don't have any extra space. I don't have any extra bandwidth to to dip my toes into real estate. So then I start thinking, well, what if I go back to home health physical therapy, where I do have a lot of flexibility, I do have a lot of bandwidth, and then I can start getting into real estate. So the impetus behind it was, was wanting more time freedom, like so many people wanting to be home with my young kids and, and do the family thing with my wife, where we're people of faith, so wanting to pursue Christ and have more time for that. But yet I still want to be fulfilled with my work. So I ended up leaving, going back to home health physical therapy, which wasn't an exciting, fulfilling job for me but then doing real estate on the, the side, which was very exciting and, and fulfilling for me.
0: All right, so so what you basically did is you, you realized that your full-time job was, it was, you were making great money, but you were missing mm. your family. And then you decided to go back to essentially what was not very fulfilling, but it I mean, you made a living, right? Provide yeah, for your family fine. and then build up the real estate on the side. That's, that's pretty impressive because I, I know people who've done the opposite. They have, you know, I'm gonna quit my job with real estate and then they're offered a promotion and then they take it. Yeah. And I think it's because they weren't clear about what was really important to them. How did you and maybe your wife, what was your decision-making process to go that route and go back to the job you didn't love and build up real estate on the side? On the side? What did that look like for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it just comes back to, to your why. And, and for my wife and I, the number one thing, I mean, a lot of people will say this, but it really was the number one thing for us was, was our faith. And then our our family and 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 a job and a career and other things outside of that really are you know tertiary and beyond. So when when the corporate world you know I was in that job for three years. The last year and a half really got difficult as I got more responsibility and and it just came to a point where we said this is not acceptable. I mean I think you've said that a lot of times, Michael. Like you're you're not going to leave until you decide it's not acceptable. And it just really became that for my wife and I that this wasn't acceptable for our family. And and you're right. I mean we decided I took at least a thirty percent pay cut when I went back to home health, physical therapy. So, um, but we just, you know, we're, 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 we were long-term planners. We were looking at, Hey, it's going to be enough money. So we're not, you know, I don't want to act like we're, you know, living on the streets, we, you know, we have a fine house. We have all our expenses covered with the physical therapy job, but you know, we were really looking to long-term and, and what it could provide. And, and we knew it could be so much more than what we had with the corporate job.
1: So Lee, you, you free up your time now. So you make the, you make the shift. Uh, away from your corporate job, and now it's like, okay, I'm gonna get my t- some of my time back so I can focus on real estate. But how did you know where to go? What what were you looking at, and how did how did you narrow it down as to a version of real estate you're gonna pursue?
2: Well, I think I made. Um- went a common route and, and maybe made a common mistake that, that a lot do. And and the, the first thing was like, well, you know, you start with a single family home and, and you start with a flip. And I had been listening to a bunch of podcasts. This is, honestly, it has honestly always been one of my favorite podcasts. So I knew that that multifamily world was where it's at. And I had people in my head like Michael saying, Hey, I started out flipping. That's not the way to go to go multifamily, but it's still like, yeah, I got I, I I got to start with a flip. And and honestly, my wife is very different than me. I'm, I'm a risk taker. I'm a gambler. So real estate just spoke to me. I mean, again, you know, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm like, this is it. My wife read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and she's like, nah. I mean, I, I can see a lot of benefits in the Poor Dad. Like he, he's got a lot of. It's the safety, stability, right? So it, it was good. You know, it's kind of a compromise. Hey, let's just start small. Um, so I, I do think there are some benefits to that, I mean, we knew actually with the flip, if everything went wrong and like, we're just sitting on it, we could actually afford that mortgage along with ours. So it was just a, a small stepping stone. Um, but as you, you know, as, as you've said before, Michael, you know, you said you get into flipping and you realize, wow, this is just another job. And it was absolutely that for us, that the flip was doing a flip on top of, I mean, I did still have a full-time job. It was very flexible, but doing a flip on top of that, it literally was no different than me being back in the corporate space. And numbers wise, it's funny how it worked out because like I said, I took about a 30% pay cut and the flip about made up for that 30% pay cut, but I was putting a bunch more time. in, so it was like, wow, this, this is no different. This is an investing.
0: That's in the, the thing that one amazed me when I first did a flip, because I had two, my first two flips, I made as much as my entire salary for that year. And that was my first exposure to the idea of working smarter, not harder. But we right, were flipping, yeah. we were buying like two properties at once. So we were doing six to 10, you know, and it was actually insane to be doing that at, this sure. at the same time. Now well, One of the things that yeah. you kind of glossed over, Lee, was that your wife actually kind of resonated with the poor dad a little bit, which I think is pretty <laughs> hysterical. And she yeah. may not be the, the only one. How did you get your wife on board with Lee doing a bunch of real estate shenanigans?
2: You know we're, we're again, we're people of faith, so it's definitely been more of a journey with with her in, in trusting God that you know he he put us together for a reason and, and he gave me these gifting different than her and these different passions so that's a big part of it but um just starting small, Michael I mean, she always said, lee like I have no reason to to trust this real estate thing. I have no reason to trust you in this real estate thing, but over time she'd say time plus believable behavior you know it equals trust so it, it, again, that's why we started with the flip um next we went to a duplex, so we just you know, took what I felt like were, were small steps. And I honestly left to my own devices, Michael, I probably would have jumped in like you and, and I would have done, you know, it would have been your story of like three dozen flips before I realized, Hey, this is, is just another job. So it's really been a blessing in disguise for me to have a wife that, you know, has forced me to, to slow down and, and think through things. And she's like, Hey, I, I thought this was supposed to be passive income. I thought this was supposed to be investing. This doesn't feel like that. And you're telling me it's not that. So why are we doing that? So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey. It's been a journey. It's not, it's not easy.
0: I can't judge you entirely, Lee, because uh, you got into flipping a single family house with the intent of getting into multifamily, right? Is that okay? So Correct. you just felt like this was a way to go kind of leg into it, which, and there's nothing wrong. It's the same thing. This is why the law of the first deal is triggered even with a something as small as a duplex. It's not triggered for someone who is a single family house investor who happens to have a duplex. It's totally different. <clears throat> because that investor is just going to get another duplex or another single family house. So this is a little bit, just a little bit different. So how, what did Absolutely. you do? How did you ease your, what else did you do to get into multifamily? Uh, what did you do? I mean, what uh, what kind of resources or or people did you surround yourself with? What allowed you to get into yeah. the multifamily space?
2: Yeah, the step that was critical for me, Michael, was joining my local RIA and uh, the, I'm, in, I'm in Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio, um, and and I joined the Cincinnati RIA, and there is an apartment focus group in that RIA, and and the guy that that is leading that kind of became a mentor to me, and he was teaching us to underwrite, and I think that's that's the skill that that you're to me you're not really going to get no matter how many flips you do, no matter how much you know you're into real estate to learn to underwrite multifamily deals and that's why you guys you know you know do so well and, and teach people that because that is an important skill so he started teaching me that and as you're doing that to me you become more and more comfortable with multifamily in general and how could I possibly offer on multifamily and how's it going to make money and just all those things so that was a very critical step
1: I love that you said that Lee because I actually say a similar thing often to people it's like well what's cuz you need skills to be able to add value to the industry mm-hmm. right and so I think one of the best skills you can learn early on is, is the underwriting because you just, you start to understand the framework of the business from a number standpoint yep. and you can start to see everything else. Everything else kind of falls into place around there. like, oh yeah, that's, that's why we're changing those toilets. That's what, you know, it lowers the water mm-hmm. whatever else it is, yeah. you know, it all kind of falls into place. And so I think that's a really powerful lesson. And I think the other thing you said that um, is super impactful for someone that's just getting started is that you surrounded yourself with other people that were doing something similar. So it helped you kind of shape your environment and you found a mentor. So Leah, when you, when you did find that mentor, how did you attract that person? And, and, you know, how did you keep that, that person around to kind of help guide you?
2: Yeah, good good question. I, I think mentors are just so important. I mean, um, it, it was so vital to, to me and it's been that way for so many other people. So, you know, he was very uh open with his time. I mean, he was leading this group. So he was open with the group. And, and hey, if you want to send me some deals you're underwriting, you know, be more than happy to look through them with you. So I just started doing that. And Garrett, I would just say that maybe what I I mean, I, I don't know what other people have done in that group, but I mean, he could tell that I that I was in and I was ready. I, I'd done a, a couple of small deals, I'd never done a multifamily, but I'm doing this. And, and, you know, when he said, Hey, well, you know, if this is the offer price, you came up, why don't you go ahead and call the broker? Why don't you talk to him? Okay. And I, and I would do that. And then I would come back, Hey, I got some more information. I would, you know, so he could tell there was a lot of follow through there. It wasn't, you know, too often it's like, Hey, I'm willing to do a little bit of work, but Hey mentor, can you kind of do a lot of it for me? And like, really, you know, really pull me into my first deal for me. It was like, man, if you can just give me just a little bit, I'll fly into that first deal. If, if I just feel like you're kind of behind me, like, you know, just telling me little bits and pieces. So I think he was like, hey, man, you know, th- this guy's going to go get it, you know, and I'm willing to help him just a little bit here and there.
0: It's funny. I So, so this guy's been around for a while. Does he mentor other people you think or...
2: He does. Um, yeah, he does, because he, he's now part of the, the, he does the Cincinnati and Columbus um, Rias. And, and so there have been some people, and I think he's done similar. He would call me one of, one of his better successes or whatever. So I don't know, you know how far those others have gone, but um, he's, he's very willing and open to it.
0: I just want to share with you that over the last six weeks, our mentoring students close four deals. So it's six people, there's two joint ventures. And I'm just really excited what we're doing there. In fact, uh, a good number of our mentors, uh, the ones that are providing the coaching, are previous students who did their first deal, quit their jobs, and decided to help others do the same thing. So I'm really excited about what we're doing there in that program. If you think that mentorship is valuable, you value mentorship, you think it can accelerate your goals and uh, eliminate some of the bigger mistakes you can make, then check out our mentorship program at the forward slash mentor and schedule a call with us and see if that's right for you. We'd love to have a conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. I, there are people like that all the time. And, and it surprises to me that very few people actually ask them to be mentored. Like just simply asking someone, I, I remember this, I, I just think this was the years ago, 15 years ago, I asked some guy and I had some advice, I don't know, probably at restaurants. No, probably not. Cause I didn't have any advice on that, but <laughs> about something else maybe. And the guy was like, man, no one's ever asked me about this. I'm like, what wow. really? So I think you got to ask them uh, for that. And the, the second thing you were, you were number one, you were coachable. And a lot of people are not coachable. They think they're better than you are, or they think they know everything, or they think they can do everything on their own. And no one wants to coach a non-coachable person. Part of being coaching is also you—you you did the work because this guy is tests you out. He goes, he, hey Lee, why don't you do this? And then they go, you know, you go away, and everybody goes away, and they never come back. And you came back, right. did the work, and now this guy's like, wow, this guy's actually doing the work, and that—that that does set you apart from a lot of other people. We study this because we mentor students on our own. We try, what is it? What does it make? What makes someone successful? And it's some of these traits. Number one, being a coachable, which is a mindset and then doing the work. And if you do that, there's literally like a hundred percent success rate of people who do that because I that. yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Also leading with value. So I've, I've also studied this quite a bit. It's like, how do you get in front of people that you want to mentor you? And the, the number one thing you can do to get your foot in the door is to like lead with some kind of value into their life. Hey, I noticed this about, you know, what you're doing. I just had a question on and I thought maybe th- I, I've worked over here and I, I saw this, you know, so anything that you can provide that's going to give them value gets your foot in the door. And I think Lee, what you did was really great because you were, you know, you, you're like, listen, you don't got to give me much. I'll figure out the rest. I just need to get past this hump. Right. Uh, too many people want that person to do a lot of stuff. And their their time is is often is, is valuable, and so they, and they look at things that way. So, there is an equal value exchange when it comes to the mentor mentee relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just finding where that is, and then leading into it. And I think by hearing what you said, that's it's kind of what you achieved in that. Yeah. So with that, so you had this mentally, and it sounds like he was helping push you across different lines that you came up in along the way, or maybe different hurdles. Where did that lead you? Well,
2: yeah. So basically what I started doing that that anybody can do, I just started looking at deals on LoopNet, right? So I'm I'm going around and and, and it just just eventually just gave me some confidence. I mean, honestly, even you're just looking at a property and deciding, I think this is a pretty good deal. And then calling the broker and realizing that it was already under contract and going, oh, I was right about that one. That was a good deal, right? Because it's already under contract versus, because this is back in 2016, not everything flew off you know, it flew off the shelves the way it does today. So some of them would sit and I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good deal. And I'd call the broker and you could tell like, oh, they really wanna to talk to me because this must not be a very good deal. And, and so they they would even sell it to somebody like me, right? So just gaining confidence. And, you know, so eventually I find a property on the MLS. It was a 16 unit. It was actually pretty close to me. Uh, it had been on LoopNet for a long time. Um, and it just, it did seem overpriced, you know, specifics, it was listed for 440,000. I thought it was maybe worth 350. And, you know, talking to my mentor and he's like, well, I think you're I think your underwriting looks pretty good. Why don't you make an offer at that? And and so I did that. And and after some negotiation, it ended up that got accepted. So literally all I did to get my first deal. You know, nothing again, nothing special.
0: Yeah, except that you did the work, right? So that's and here's the other thing. I mean, I've noticed this also. You you actually some people sabotage themselves a little bit because I mean, how did you feel when you submitted that offer? I mean, did you feel very confident? Were you biting your fingernails? What 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 was that like? <laughs>
2: I felt like there was probably not much chance it was going to get accepted. Um, I mean, again, they, they'd they had it on for a long time. You could tell they were kind of, you know, not interested in the property anymore. But I just felt like the worst that could happen was they were going to say no. And, and that's the most likely thing that was going to happen. So it's just these steps like you have to underwrite 100 properties to get comfortable with what would be a good offer. And then you finally get there and you got to start making offers, you know, and it might take 10 20, especially in this market, 20 offers to get one accepted. But if you're not doing these steps, then you can never get to the point of getting one accepted and getting a property under contract.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and you mentioned 100, 100 properties, right? I mean, people say, you know, they're like, oh, I made a few offers and none of them was accepted. I'm like, are you kidding me? A few offers? <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Especially in this market, my goodness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you made, you made this offer, Lee, and uh, got accepted. What happened next? Were you, were you panicked? Were you excited? Did you have... All your ducks lined up to be able to take this thing down. Talk us through that a little bit.
2: You know, I, I can't say that I did. I mean, I felt much better again, going back to having a mentor. I mean, the fact that, you know, I, I have my mentor with me that has closed on deals. And so for him, knowing that like, this is no big deal to him, even though it's such a big deal to me and my wife and my family. Knowing that he's with me. And and hey, if, if he thinks this is a good deal, then I mean he knows better than I do. And he came with me, actually. Um, I ended up giving him 10% of the deal. Honestly, I was so happy we've already gone full cycle on that and, and sold it. And I was so happy to be able to pay him. I mean, he he deserves even even more than that because I totally believe in the law of the first deal, Michael. And and I I mean, he got me into that first deal, and that's what a mentor does and got me over that biggest hurdle by far. And now I I feel like I'm kind of off to the races and it all goes back to him getting me started. So yeah, Garrett, I did not have all my ducks in a row. I mean, I talked to a bunch of banks Honestly, it was an old school building. So kind of a weird property that was turned into a nursing home like in the 80s and then turned into an apartment. So a lot of banks, a lot of local banks that I went and talked to didn't want to lend on it. It was actually the broker that ended up had a contact at, at U.S. Bank and helped me get lending. And it was a miserable process as lending mostly is. And I didn't know which property management company I was going to use again through referrals and going through that. But I'm definitely, and not everybody's like, I'm a build a parachute on the way down type of person. And that can be dangerous. But again, if you have a mentor, it's much less dangerous because he, and you know, the one thing I would say to other people that he was, you know, chirping in my ears and you don't want to do this all the time and you don't ever want to do this because you don't have to, but you can get out of the deal. If you get an offer accepted, if you get in and everyone, oh, but what if, you know, what if the roof's leaking? Well, then tell the, you know, tell the sellers that, hey, your roof's leaking. We didn't know that you know, the offer may not be good anymore. Let's, let's renegotiate. So just knowing that that it's not, you're in no matter what, and you can't get your money back. You can get your earnest money back. Things like that help me feel more comfortable, but mostly the mentor.
0: Now, how did you raise the money for those first, I think, first or one or two deals? Did you use your own money? Did you, was it a joint venture? Did you syndicate it? What did you do there? Good question, because
2: I think a great way to get started is just family and friends. If if you've got some, most people have some people that could limit some money. So those first I did three, Michael, I did in the fall of 2018 or 2019 into the winter of 2019, I did a 16 unit an eight unit and a 10 unit. And it was all with close friends, family, and then a little bit of my own money, but mostly friends and family money. And we just did simple joint ventures. These were small, you know, dollar deals. and, And so we just did simple joint ventures, which keeps it pretty simple to get started.
0: Absolutely. You recently did, uh, did your first syndication, though, as well. Talk, talk to you about about that. Great. Yeah. So
2: after doing those, those three deals, getting my confidence, and I took basically a whole year into the fall of, of 2020 to reposition those three properties, because there were some pretty heavy value-add properties, which is how we were able to get some good deals on them. And we added a lot of value, ended up selling a couple of those, looking to sell the third. And I started building my team again, kind of, you know, neat for my stories that I ended up partnering with the guy that I was building a division with back at the corporate space and he left as well. So we're now both working and, and still working with with my mentor, actually still part of the RIA, raising money from the RIA now. You know, we had a couple of guys from the, the Cincinnati RIA that, and well, one from Cincinnati, one from Columbus, actually, that invested on our first syndication. But yeah, just, just, you know, continue with the underwriting, continue making deals. It just took a long time. I mean, you know, the market got really hot. Connecting with brokers, the, the only way we got this 45 unit that became our first apartment syndication in Dayton, Ohio, was through a broker connection because it was an off-market deal. The guy's more of an investor, but he is a broker as well. And he brought us this deal that just didn't really fit what he goes after, uh, but it really fit what we were looking for. So he brought it to us and, and we were the only ones offering on it. It was, it was off-market. It was just between us and the, the seller and we came to an agreement. So that's how the, the first syndication came to be.
1: So how did you guys do it without like a real track record? at that point, right? So you guys won the deal yeah. and then how did you kind of overcome that?
2: Well, so, you know, going all the way back to to the flip, some close family were actually in on the flip a little bit with me. It was kind of by accident, but they were in on that. And, and so they saw some success in that. I think, again, even though single family doesn't really translate to multifamily a lot of the skills, having a track record of being someone of, of character and integrity and, and doing the right things and working hard and, and having some success in real estate does start to build a track record. So those some of those same people that saw what I did just with a single family flip and with the duplex wanted to get in on the 16 unit with me and then the eight unit and the, the 10 unit. So had some investors. So it was some of those same investors that we actually s- sold those properties already and made them a lot of money that wanted to then get in on the syndication. And then even You know, other people, it was my first syndication, but I had been on, I'd been interviewed by my, by my mentor on the Cincinnati RIA and had told all those members about what I had done with a 16 and eight and a 10. So a 45, it it was a big jump, but people did see a track record, even though it wasn't in specifically apartment syndication.
0: Uh, You mentioned my favorite thing, which is the law, of the first deal. Talk, talk to us if that applied to you at all. And if so, how?
2: Yeah, I got to be honest. Uh, It it totally did. And I really did think of you, Michael, I had to because on the day we were closing on our 16 unit, which was our first real multifamily property, we had a duplex. But on that day, my friend, you know, a really close friend of mine, again, who had followed me through this journey, so had seen some of my track record and really wanted to invest with me. He just happened to see his friend who's a, a residential realtor list an eight unit property. And he sent it to me because this goes back to your point, Garrett, about how important underwriting is and learning that as a skill. Because I had done so much of that, when he sent me that eight unit property, it was listed for $300,000. Looking into it for, for a few minutes, I knew it was at least worth getting it under contract. Again, you still have an inspection, right? So you can still get out of it. But on the day I was closing on my 16 unit. We put an eight unit under contract that we ended up closing on. So, yeah, the law of the first deal could not have been more relevant. And I, I thought you got, you know, this podcast
0: when that happened. Why do you think the law works based on your own experience? What, what do you think happens when you close that first deal?
2: I, I think it's a couple of things, Michael. One is, is just your own personal confidence. Getting a, a deal takes so much and, and getting all the way to closing. But as soon as you do, it's just, it's almost immediately not as scary. As soon as he sends me that eight unit, it's like, put it under contract right now. Like I I just did this. I know how to do it. You just, you know, as soon as you learn how to ride a bike, you can hop on your bike anytime you want and and take off. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. The other thing is just building up that team. So by now I have a property management company that I feel very confident in. So now it's like, I'm not even the one managing the property. So now that I have uh, you know, and 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 I feel better about getting lending, you know, I've got my mentor there and investors. So because my my buddy saw me do the 16 unit and was bummed he didn't get in on it, I knew he was gonna be in on this eight unit. So a few things there. You you're just building up momentum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you really, really are. Part of that, like if you go deeper on the law of the first deal a little bit that I've noticed, it's it's kind of like there's there are all these things that come up when you get into the actual process of acquisition that maybe you haven't quite figured out yet or you don't quite know. And so you, it kind of shines a light on everything. Once you do it one time, oh, all of a sudden, oh, oh, that's how you get lending the right way. This is who you go to. This is, All those things kind of come to fruition and you're like, let's do it again. Like, And so you have Absolutely. this new energy about you at the yeah. end of that, which is what makes that law the first deal. So- uh, powerful in general.
0: Well, I mean, you yeah. talked about this investor who was on the fence and that typically what happens, there's investors who say, like, let me see what Lee does. And then he does it. Yeah. He's like, crap, I missed it. I missed the other one. <laughs> you know, and they get on the other one. The other thing also, I wonder what connection the, the, the other one that you did, um, the 45 unit in Dayton, because you said it was through an off market deal via a broker. How did that come about? And was that maybe related at all to any, uh, any of the first deals that you may have done?
2: You know, it wasn't necessarily directly related. I actually just made that connection through bigger pockets. Um, you know, connected with the guy in bigger pockets and like, oh wow, you're in Dayton. That's you know, that's kind of my market. Let, you know, why don't we know each other? Let's get to know each other. And we did. The thing I would say that there is a connection, Michael, though it just speaks to this again, the, the law of the first deal. And, and one thing I didn't mention is that once you close on one deal, suddenly brokers take you seriously, right? I mean, so that's that's another part of that that all of a sudden. Hey, I just closed on a 16 unit. So, you know, I can close on this eight unit. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll take your offer very seriously as opposed to I've never done anything. Right. So I think that would be the connection to the first properties. Michael just to tell, you know, when I'm meeting this guy and I say, Hey, I bought a 16, I bought an eight, I bought a 10, you know, but I'm really looking for more like a 40 unit now. He's like, okay, that's going to be a step up for this guy, but the guy's done it. You know, he's done three, he has 34 units. So he's going to, he's going to take me seriously because of that track record.
0: Let's talk about your transition into a full-time investor, right? Yeah, how did you, how did you decide when to do that? And the reason I ask is there's some people who, you know, they burned a boat. They got, I got six months, 12 months of savings. And they're like, I'm all in. And I, I wouldn't recommend it, but I respect it. Right. And some <laughs> people, some people hang on like three years after they've covered like their living expenses, like 10, 10, 10, times. because they're like, I can't leave my job, but I can. And how did you make the decision of when it was right to leave? Oh, or at least transition from being full time job to full time investor.
2: Yeah, it's a great question, and it is different for everybody. But yeah, you know the the goal I think, Michael, for for so many people, and it was the goal for me, is to replace my W two income with with rental income with, with with passive income. It's not completely passive, you know, when you're a, a GP, but to have my rentals, you know, replace my income. Frankly, I underlying theme here is that I really wanted to leave my job. I mean, I was becoming somewhat unhappy, unhappy with my job, but almost more than that, I was becoming more and more excited about real estate. So, there was something, you know, I was doing this that I didn't like, but over here, I really like this and I wanted to move into that. So, I wanted to go really bad just to share some numbers just so people get an idea because I, I think it can be helpful. With those 34 units that I had, If I would have gotten all of those, you know, fully functional, fully operating, you know, kind of peak performance, I probably would have been making like thirty thousand a year, somewhere between thirty and thirty-five. My number was sixty. I'm in the Midwest, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, high expenses, so five thousand a month was kind of my number, and it was just taking too long to get there because I was only halfway there after getting those, and I didn't want to have to do all those again. So, because of the market too, we did take a little bit of a different approach than, than what I told my wife our original plan was. And so we ended up selling our 16 unit and our eight unit because there was so much equity in these buildings. We decided to take all that out with a sale, realize all that income. And then what it ended up doing for us is, is giving us a cushion, giving us a runway and actually a few years worth of a runway. So I said, all right, if I've done this much while working full time, if I could go into real estate full time, I can, I can repeat this and, and do even more over the next few years with this runway.
0: And that that's exactly right. And so you're 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 achieving the same thing as a, the first people I just described who burned the boats. There's a runway there. And you did that by having 12, 24, 36 months of, of runway because you realize you've seen it working or you maybe haven't done your f- first deal yet, but you see a pipeline forming. You're just like, My gosh, I'm getting close here on a couple of deals. If one of these are both in popped, you know. And, I, and then you realize that you can make faster progress by going full-time. There's almost a major opportunity cost. Right. The other thing that I think that people under, uh, underestimate is the acquisition fees. Now, I don't know if you paid yourself acquisition fees in the first three. Yes. Did you pay one on the 45? We, we, no, we didn't on
2: the first three because, again, just joint yep. venture. So I, I just took a lot of, a lot of the equity. Yep. Um, I always had 50 to 55% of those uh, deals. But we did on the 45, and, and we will go right. forward. So yes. roughly,
0: yep. what was the range of acquisition fees for that kind of deal? the 45 unit
2: was 42,000. So my partner and I split that 50, 50.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so what I'm saying is the acquisition fees are a substantial part of a syndicator's income. And people don't realize that because we talk about the passive income, but in honesty, the passive income, especially when you're doing a value add deal is pretty thin for the first 12 to 18 months. So, so, so that can't be it really. So I want 5,000, 10,000 per month, but it's not actually coming from the passive income that doesn't come until one or two years later. What does come and is a substantial the acquisition fees. You do a $5 million deal, Garrett, 3% was at 150 grand, right? Something like that. It's, it, these are big numbers. Mm-hmm. And when you see that coming, you see I have a pipeline forming. I know with every deal, I'm going to get paid twenty five dollars to $50,000 in acquisition fees while I'm building up equity. That right. allows me, without a runway, that allows me to now focus on this full time. So the acquisition fees are actually quite powerful. And, and that opportunity cost is also very powerful because it's- it's preventing you from from doing more deals faster
1: absolutely, yeah, I think with regards to the acquisition fee it's it's something that you know just keep keeps the lights on, keeps your paying bills you'll catch up on the cash flow side depending on how you've structured the deal mm-hmm. and i I think that you know just keeping then it allows you to just keep moving forward in in general so lee this it sounds like this whole path is i mean it's really cool to see how you've organically been able to create this, and it sounds like when you talk about it like this sounds like there were no you know real hiccups but i'm sure there were can yeah. you tell us tell us about one of the times you were really scared
2: well that, uh yeah okay um wh- one thing i definitely underestimated a, a big lesson for me beyond the lesson of doing a flip and stuff like that but with multifamily i never would have imagined that so when we bought these properties like i said large value add lots of vacancy so our 10 unit for example when we bought it, it was 50% vacant. Somebody moved out right away. So we're 60% vacancy, you know, 40% occupancy, basically right away. So we knew with these six units, we're putting thousands of dollars into these units. We wanted to turn them. We, we knew that. We had a big, you know, uh, rehab budget on this property. I never would have believed that we'd also spend thousands of dollars on the occupied units And that's where, you know, deferred maintenance can really get you right. It was the same thing on the 16 unit because we had three vacancies and a couple of people moved out. So five of the 16 pretty quickly moved out. But on the other 11 units, we're spending thousands of dollars on those units. I mean, we went into one where the lady had lived there uh, for four to five years with kids and did not have running water in her uh, sink in her bathroom. So, you know, we're spending hundreds of like, I would, I didn't know people would, would live like that. I didn't know she would put up with it, but the previous management, I mean, this is why I was able to get a good deal. That's the kind of management that was in place before we bought it. She just, she couldn't get anybody to do anything about it. So we spent thousands of dollars. So. I mean, as you can imagine where the story is headed, I did not bring enough money to the deal. And and I was in a position where I ended up putting, I just put more and more of my own money into the deal, but um, you don't want to do that. And so I, I'm glad to learn that lesson on some smaller ones with friends and family, because as you become more professional and do an apartment syndication, even if you're putting up the money, it does not instill confidence in your investors when it's like, oh, we're putting in a lot more money than we thought. So definitely learned a lesson on that one.
0: So Lee, how is your life different now that you're, you know, you kind of work for yourself. You're kind of financially free. You can do a lot of different things. What? How is life different than before?
2: Yeah, it is, Michael. It, it's been such a blessing. I mean, my, my wife and I, this morning, the, the kids were at school. We do kind of a, a homeschool hybrid program, but they, they were there today. And my wife and I, on Tuesday mornings, usually have a midweek like date in the morning and, and get some coffee and, and talk through things. It's something we we haven't been able to do ever, ever before uh with, with me working every day. We have so much flexibility with our kids. Uh we, my wife's best friend just went through a really difficult time a few weeks ago. And so she's from my hometown. So we went up to my hometown and stayed with my parents and I'm just working from there. I can work from anywhere. Um so we were able to bless her in that way for my wife to really be around her uh during this you know tragic time. And and yet I'm still working, you know, and, and I was like, are you sure we can do this? Are you sure you and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, as long as you give me some time uh, during the day and, and we can scale it back week to week. I mean, some weeks, you know, we, we don't have to be so heavy. Uh, maybe don't reach out to quite as many investors, something like that. So just so much flexibility for us to, to really do that lifestyle design of, because I, I really enjoy working I, it's probably you can see that from my story. I really do enjoy working. But it's great to be able to work when, when I want to work, you know, and, and I like to get up at 430 in the morning. So I can work then I can do most of my stuff then uh, before the kids are even up. So just that flexibility to really design our lifestyle. It, it's just been a real blessing.
0: Now you started a podcast as well. Talk, talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, I did. Thanks for mentioning that, Michael. It's called Threefold Real Estate Investing. It's a multifamily podcast. But As you can tell, I'm, I'm very passionate about uh, my faith and my family. And that's why uh, my wife and I are so excited about pursuing multifamily real estate. And, and everybody's story is a little bit different, but I, I do believe that that's the beauty behind multifamily investing is that it will and it can improve your family's life and, and your family's financial position, but also like the time that you get to spend at home, which is just so important. So we really dig into that with our guests and talk about, okay, Hey, you've had some success in, in real estate. We can talk about the numbers and you've made some money and, and Hey, you're financially independent, but what does that really mean? Like, are you still working 70 hours a week or is your life actually better? And, and we're seeing a lot. And, and it's definitely true for me that, that no, your life can really be better. Cause you're not just trading time for money. You do have passive income. So you can make your money work for you, even if you're a passive investor. So that, that's kind of the, what the podcast is about.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that. You know, I, I, I remember I, I was uh, I was financially independent twice in my life and then lost it both times. But there was times when I was <laughs> You know, I, I was having conversations with people and, and I was like, man, it's, you know, I was reading a book or listening to, Hey man, you got to figure out what your, what your purpose in life is, man, your passion and you got to live into passion. And they're looking at me. I didn't what talk you like that. To? I, I, I don't even talk <laughs> like that. I don't know.
1: I don't what even do talk think like was that. was telling you that advice, <laughs> you, you know,
0: <laughs> and they're like, dude, what are you talking about? I got like, i work 50, 60 hours a week. I'm on call on the weekends. Like, I don't have time for this stuff. Because we work so much, we do it, of course, to provide for a family, but then yeah. we, it prevents us almost from doing the things and spending time with the people that are really important to us, right? And so yeah. now you're at home, you're at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, I don't need to be anywhere someplace. And then you do some deep thinking. You know, you go out, you take mm-hmm. your, your wife to coffee and you talk about life and you start reflecting on yourself. And all of a sudden you start living and doing things that actually matter to you most. And that could have been very, very difficult when you were back, you were director of operations. You're probably trying to do the best that you can, but you're really, on hard to do it. Yeah, Michael, it's a great point.
2: We actually just finished our ebook. Finally, and we call it Five Steps to Passive Income for the Full-Time Dad. And we're really reaching out, you know, trying to, to talk to guys like, like me and where I was. And again, it's not that everybody sh- everybody should quit their job and, and go into real estate. But we do think maybe you should just think twice about do I really need to take or should I take this promotion? Should I work even more? Because if you want to provide more financially for your family, I totally get that because I want to do that too. I have big dreams for my family. But maybe like if you could save up some money, put some money into real estate, again, even if you're just a passive investor in apartment syndication, like, like partnering with you guys, Michael, you can get a return on your money, put your money to work for you. So you say, hey, I want to make another 10 grand a year because that means, you know, an incredible vacation for my family. Right. That's awesome. I I think most dads are that way. And so they tend. okay. well, then I got to work harder. I got to take the promotion. Right. So we can take this great vacation. But week to week, I don't get to see my family as much as I'd like. Well, what if you could save up some money, put it into an apartment syndication and make 10 grand a year from that? And then your money is making that 10 grand for you. So you can do that incredible vacation, but you're not trading more time for money. We're really passionate about that. I know you guys are too. So we're really excited about that, putting the ebook out. And hopefully it speaks to guys that are still in that corporate space. Hey, maybe you can't quit yet, but maybe you don't need to work even harder. Maybe you don't need to trade even more time for money. Maybe you can put your money to work for you.
0: That's why I do what I do. That's why I wear this, this, this yeah. shirt that says freedom on it it is all about financial freedom because that's really what people want right now. They want financial freedom. But the reason I'm excited about it is because it sets you up for a life of significance. Absolutely. And I have found in my own experience and talking to people that while they're not necessarily required, you don't have to be financially free to live a life significance. I'm not saying that, but it is really hard to live into the life that God has called you to do when you're working 60 hours a week. It's just a matter of practicality. And so therefore that's why I'm fired up about helping people financial free so they can, you know, it empowers them to do that. And invariably, you know, people end up doing kind of what, what whatever they love to do, whatever it is. It could be real estate, uh, but they invariably end up serving other people in some way. Uh, you start a podcast or writing a book or or volunteering or mentoring other people. And that's that's very powerful, right? So my simple mind is the more people that are financial free, the better off we are because most people end up gravitating towards serving others. So thank you for a reminder of that. That's kind of what real estate is. It's just a vehicle, a means to an end, but it's not the end in itself. Um, All right, we're going to wrap it up. How can people find out more about you, Lee?
2: Yeah, great. Um, we've got a website, threefoldrei.com. Uh, you can email us at info at threefoldrei.com. would love for you to check out the podcast, Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, but we've got some stuff there on the, the website. If you want to see the ebook, that's on our website. So jump on there. But um, yeah, would love to connect with more people and, and have more people joining this. We, we think it's a great vehicle, like you said there, Michael. Uh, and I think it, it can change people's lives and then those people can go and change other people's lives.
0: That's right. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for
2: having
0: me. Yeah, one of the things that really stood out with me is uh, his focus on analyzing. I think you mentioned it as well. Analysis is one of those fundamental skills that affects everything else. Because obviously, you need it to, to make offers, but it also allows you to build up your confidence and improve your language when you speak to brokers. It's used during due diligence, and it's actually used even after you close. So analysis is really fundamental to multifamily uh, investing. And the thing is, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. So if you're not a numbers person or Excel person, you know, we have tools with a syndicated deal analyzer, for example, that make this pretty easy. You spend a lot of time analyzing deals, Garrett.
1: Uh, yeah, you might say that. That's part of what I've been doing for the last 10 years is uh, analyzing deals. So, you know, just think of it as like the the easiest, fastest way that you could add value to any syndication, any operator, anywhere is by understanding how to underwrite and, and getting numbers in front of you. And so that's just been paramount to, to everything, really. It's the framework. And there are plenty of tools out there, but it, definitely the SDA is a, a fantastic one where, you can just dive in and you know you can look at OMS. It allows you to see things that other people wouldn't see, find deals that other people wouldn't know about by just honing those skills and, and crafting them.
0: Yeah, I, I love the law of the first deal that he he brought up that as well. And it just works all the time. You listening to this, but you're not gonna believe me until it happens to you. Like it's just this unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable phenomenon that people go through as well. And I, I, I really like the way that he, you know, he was able to find a mentor and it really got him into the game.
1: Yeah, the, the mentor thing, I mean, it's definitely a huge component to any business that you're in but the cool thing about real estate and and the mentors that exist is there's there's always a RIA, there's always some virtual event or, or some way to get in front of people i feel like our industry is very collaborative and so you know, it's just about putting in the reps and then adding value to someone else. And I mean, it's awesome that he was able to do that so soon. And you see, start to see this pattern really from the guests that come on the show that have started and got into real estate. There's all typically always someone like that that comes into their peripheral that they've been able to leverage and, and overcome a lot of those barriers that limit them from from getting in a deal. So I love that that part of the story. Uh, the other part of that that I that kind of ties into it is that he was able to surround himself with the right people to get him there at, at these areas. So I'd, I love how he, he was able to, to find that and talk about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you got to get out of the house, you know, either virtually or in, in person. You just have to, it's amazing. The more you meet people, the more the world opens up to you. And there is a pattern of people who are successful. I mean, it's not just in, in multifamily real estate, but really anyone in business or even sports, they all have coaches. And you don't necessarily have to pay for someone, but then you have to go through the trouble of finding someone that you can rely on that you don't necessarily pay. They're out there. They're hard to find because they're just hard to find. And so if you can't find someone that you don't pay, then hire someone if you're able to afford it. And we certainly have a mentoring program as well. And we'd love to work with you if you value your mentorships and you have the ability to invest in yourself in that because it just really, as Lee Uh, He did not necessarily, he did not directly pay for his mentor, indirectly with with equity, but without him, he probably wouldn't be where he is today. And you know, when I got started with our apartments in 2000, I think it was like six or something, there was really no mentoring at all. And I was kind of on my own, Uh, though I did not go through the trouble necessarily of networking because people were buying apartments for 50 years more. Uh, So I did not go through the trouble because I was a little arrogant. I was like, I don't need this. I can read a book. I can figure this out. I'm a smart guy. And I eventually did figure it out, but I it took me so long and I lost so much money in the process that I could have been much faster and I could have scaled faster with a mentor. So that is a common theme, Garrett, with people who are successful with anything, you know, even real estate or, or otherwise.
1: When you pay for somebody, you're paying for their focus. So that, that's a big part of it is like, listen, if someone just think about it, if someone's like, hey, I'm going to pay you $500 for an hour of your time right now, put yourself in that position you're going to be focused on whatever problem they, it is they need to solve for that amount of time. And so it works the other way. Like you're paying for someone's time. They're going to be like, okay, sure. And you're going to get the most out of that in, the, in that form as well. So although it doesn't sound like we did that on this one, that, you know, that is a really real and very powerful way to go about having someone like that, a coach or a mentor in your life for sure.
0: All right, you guys, make sure that you grab tickets for Dealmaker Live, dealmakerliveevent.com. It is live right now. We're all getting ready for it, really excited for it. We got a great program for you. It's been a long time since we all met in person. You can hang out with Garrett and I and our team and uh, look forward to it. So hope to see you in Dallas in July.
1: Thanks for listening to the
2: Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to the Michael Block. Com. There, you can also download the free ebook The
0: Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.